Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. I want to tell you that um, this kid who felt helpless and hopeless when he started his journey and he got his eyes fixed in the right direction, there was a little fumbling at first and I'll explain it to you. Like I, I started reading this Bible that I understood that was in a, a, a today's English version that was more readily easy for me to understand. And as I was reading it, uh, I was getting acquainted with some people who were, come on, let's, those of us who want our life to make an impact, you don't want to become extinct without significance, hands up in the air if you really do want your life to, come on, you're not ashamed of it, you want your life to make an impact, you don't want to waste your existence, you don't want to not have significance on the planet, and you have that desire in you because you are hardwired with it. When I started thinking like there was a chance for people like me, I read about some people. In Hebrews chapter 11, I, I kept reading down through this chapter like it was really crazy for me. Like God impacted the world for somebody who had construction ability and built something. God impacted the world by somebody who, who just uh, had a friendship with God and liked to go on walks with God. One day God says to Enoch, let's go to my house instead of yours. And, and, and that's the mark he makes on the planet. Like be with God. You get another dude who, who doesn't have any kids and everybody thinks he's a past tense guy and his wife is past tense. It looks like it's all over for them and God says, no, no, don't. Everybody else thinks it's past tense. It's not past tense. And suddenly this guy's a domino that, that multiplies as numerous as the stars. You got some of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 who, who, who are given good looks or she's beautiful and, and God employs these different people, different skills, different abilities You've got one guy who's just courageous and he's a man of prayer. You got other people who are, who are so loyal, they were willing to have their head chopped off or be stoned. Yet other people who were, were doing what you would think was normal on, and that there's not a chance for, for them, they would say they were from the least clan, the least tribe, they were from the smallest town. And God's like no respecter of persons, like everybody gets a chance. I remember when I was, I was reading about one of them, this really caught my attention. He had a felony on his record. And I'm reading in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, like this dude killed somebody, he's a murderer. And then he's, he's off kind of a runaway kind of fugitive and he's, he's in front of a bush and the bush lights up and God starts having a talk with him like, you're my plan. It's like, well, no, not me. I, 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 man, I got a record and I stutter. And again, I watched God taking people who weren't nicknamed Dwight the Fright. They were ordinary people who left an extraordinary mark on the planet. It was crazy to me. Like, God, you're... You're more wild and entrepreneurial and crazy than I understood you were. And, and I don't get why you cut us breaks like this because you hardwired us to want to make an impact. And when it seems like we messed it all up, you're not done. Finally, you get to Hebrews chapter 12. And it tells us since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of, of witnesses, these, these people now that are, they are, they're getting a reward, they're, you know, their life has made an impact on the planet, you get one life, you get one chance, and th their impact happened. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders, and the, the sins, like the, the sticks that, that Adrian was talking to us about Monday night, the shame, let's, let's, let's get rid of this stuff that holds us back, and it says, and run. Any runners in the room? I ran track, that was my sport. Run with perseverance the life race that's marked out for you. And then the next verse was the kicker for me. Because I, in my young startup, I'd gotten my eyes on a, on a hero who was really, I thought, impressively running the Jesus race. So my eyes were on him and, and he was kind of my guide. He was almost like a, you might call him a mentor or a coach or a discipler, like he was helping me get it. But, 
But then all of a sudden, the church announced that his membership was being revoked. He wasn't going to be on the church board or working with student ministries anymore. And I was ticked. I was angry. I was confused. I didn't understand the, the level of moral failure that had occurred in his life. And as I learned the truth, I became angry. Like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, where somebody falls off a pedestal you have them on. Hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. In my heart, it was like, I didn't want to see the dude again. And then, a TV repairman, a TV repairman walks up to me with his Bible in hand and said, Dwight, would you read this verse like out loud so I can hear you read it? I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. Yeah, I can read. I can, yeah. Uh, said, uh, okay, right, right here, verse two. Is that what you, yeah, I can read that. Let, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author. He said, no, no, stop, stop again. Re read that again. I thought, did I miss something? So I, <laughs> I looked down like, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. No, no, why don't, you, why don't you read that again, Dwight? What am I missing? Like, I, I actually, before I even made it auditory, I, I, I read it like, did I miss a word here? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, he said, yeah. Dwight, you've been looking at that dude and you're all messed up because you're going, well, if that's what it is, you don't want to have any part of it. You're confused right now. Can I help you raise your gaze? It says, not fix your eyes on Josh. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me take you to Romans, Dwight, and show you that it promises you that anybody who puts their trust in him will never be disappointed, never be put to shame. Wow. Wow. Forever after. Like, you're great, but you're not him. I'm not. I mean, I'm Dwight the Fright, and I, I live every day in need of a Savior. I'm looking to him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So if you've got your Bible electronic or, or, or hard copy in front of you, turn to Matthew 9 because we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And I want you to see something here in Matthew 9. When you get there, um, just say the word here when you're at Matthew 9. Woo, you're fast. I'm still turning. <laughs> All right. Matthew 9. You electronic people, man, you're so fast. So Matthew 9, if I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and, and, okay, pop quiz time, look at me. Do you remember anything from yesterday? Let's see if we could do it. So if we're Jesus followers, we're going to do what? We're going to see, we're going to stop, and we're going to spend time with. We're going to do what? We're going to see, we're going to stop, and we're going to spend time with. Sorry. <laughs> I needed my second cup of coffee this morning, and I didn't get it, so... So, so listen up. That's my fault. Dan, thank you for all the deliveries of coffee to my room, man. That's amazing. So, so Jesus, Jesus, if we're fixing our eyes on him, if we're fixing our eyes on him, the first thing I want you to know in Matthew 9, verse 1, is he started in his own hometown. He didn't need to go somewhere else. He started where he was. Some of you, you need to start the journey we're going to talk about this morning. You start it right here. You start it right here at CIU. You start it where you're working your job, where you're doing classes. You start where you are. So verse 1, it says, you know, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own hometown. Come on. They're your homies. Start there. Start where you are. Start where you are. Don't think, well, I'm going to wait until I'm, I'm set up for opportunity. You are set up already more than you understand your boots on the ground are exactly where they're supposed to be right now don't think there's not opportunity there's always opportunity he's always up to something you start where you are started his own hometown let's see how many thousands of people he started with look at this some men brought to him uh, a thousand people no I'm sorry it wasn't a thousand it was it's like 100 or 50 right some some impressive number right some men brought to him how many Oh, how many? What's it look like to you? How many people are in front of him? So small that all you can see is the one life in front of you. There's one paralytic in front of him. And he focuses on that one life. But 
hear me, it is never just one. He focuses on the one life in front of him. By the time you get to verse 8, look at verse 8. What's happening? Domino ripple effect. He's just focused on one life in his hometown. But God sends the ripple effect. And pretty soon you got a whole bunch of dominoes or people who are highly impacted by his impact on one life. Jesus alive in you, impacting one life at a time. Now look at verse 9, because this validates, because Matthew's trying to share with you. He's good at keeping records. I mean, he was an accountant. How many business majors in the room? Oh, a bunch of you, a bunch of you, you know. Like, so Jesus recruited a business major who was really good at, at keeping track of details. And Matthew wants you to know the way it started with him was when Jesus saw him, and stopped long enough to get his name. And remember, when you get somebody's name, that's magic. That's magic. When you know their name and you can call them by name. How many of you could name every student in the room right now? You couldn't do it. Not yet. We're only at the beginning of the year. What's the possibility that you're going to, if you do Jesus thing, and when you stop, what was your name? And you work on it. And suddenly... You know, it was so cool. Yesterday, I met Harrison at lunch. I got to see him this morning and call him by name. It was so cool. Jayla, I met you first day. And yesterday, I'm calling you Jayla. You know, uh, Zay, where are you, Zay? You know, I, I met you the other night, and there's Zay back there. You know, it's just so fun. To, uh, Daniel, where are you at? Daniel, we met the other night. Daniel, there you are. I didn't recognize you with your cap on ball, uh, backward. Listen, when you learn somebody's name, that's the beginning of it. And Matthew wants you to know Jesus saw a man he stopped with him, named Matthew, not, not named tax collector. Don't know them by, well, he, he's an athlete, she's a, she's a nursing major, he's a, what's their name? That represents their personhood, not their category. Know them. Stop and get their name, that's the beginning of high impact. How many of you, when somebody calls you by name, like those of you I just called by name, is that a little impactful when suddenly your name is, is in front of you? by somebody else calling you by name. Matthew wants you to know it was a big deal, but also what was a big deal was when Jesus spent time with him at his table. I asked you yesterday, how many of you like to eat? I think, I mean, let me ask you the question again, because I think I saw what I saw. How many of you like to eat? Hands up, you like to eat. I mean, you actually like to eat. You know, my son, who's a Marine, says, Dad, it's, it's, the, it's the sixth love language. You know what this means? This means you have the capacity to spend time with people, to get up close to them, because most of the time, we do a lot of our eating with other people. That's what Jesus did with Matthew. Look at him. He's sharing meals. Some of you, some of you, uh, how many nursing majors in the room? Like, any, any, anybody, in, do you have nursing here? I thought you maybe had nursing here. Oh, next year. But, but for others of us, so, so let's say we're going to meet for coffee. We're going to sit over coffee. I was going to say, you know, I, I remember a nurse when I was hospitalized with a terminal illness, and she brought food to me, and she didn't just leave it. She sat down at the chair beside me and talked to me. It was highly impactful. I still remember it all these years later. Matthew's sitting at a table, and at a table, we exchange our ideas, our stories, it didn't stop with Matthew. Look further in, in Matthew 9. You, you'll see uh, a worried dad. Uh, verse 18, there's a worried dad that, that, that he comes and just falls in front of Jesus. Like, I got a sick girl. I, I need your help. Jesus gets up. 19, he's going to go with him. Ah, oh, here's somebody else. I mean, she's just one. But verse 20, she, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She's been sick for 12 years. Man, they're getting away, they're getting away, and everybody's pushing, brushing up against him, and, 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 and uh, Jesus, like all of a sudden, he just, whoo, he stops, stops. Who touched me? The disciples say, what, what, what? Everybody's pushing, pressing, brushing up against you. You, you want to know who touched you? He said, no, somebody touched me. Do you know why I believe he did that? I believe because see, stop, spend time with was in reverse. She'd reached through from back behind him. She'd touched the edge of his garment. And he thought, she needs more than just the power that went out of me and healed her body. And he turned around and said, who, who touched me? And when she came out from among the crowd, 
and he looked at her and saw her, and she saw him, and then he stopped with her because he didn't want to just have healing go out. He wanted to give her the blessing of dignity and worth and value. So who touched me? You, okay. And he calls her daughter. Daughter, what a kind way to address her. I mean, she probably forever remembered the way he, he called her daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Spent time with her. You see, the worried dad is standing there like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Jesus gets to the house in Matthew 9, and when he gets there, you know, there's, there's a bunch of people wailing, crying, and they laugh at Jesus when he, he says the girl's not dead but asleep, verse 24. And the crowd outside doesn't understand when he goes in, and he sees this little girl, he stops with her and takes her hand. You know, Jesus gave everybody worth and dignity, see them all, stop, spend time with, even held kids one day when others thought that wasn't important enough to do and they tried to shove them out of the way. Talitha Kaum, Talitha Kaum, little girl, get up. And she rose and things started happening. It says in verse 27, Jesus went on from there. I mean, he's, he's on the move. His feet are moving because he knows there's more people here and more people there. And it says in, in verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, there were two blind men following him, calling out, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he'd gone indoors, the blind men came to him and they, they asked him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Jesus said, and they said, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes. But by the time you get through Matthew 9, all the way to verse 35, there have been nine one-life-at-a-time individuals who've been impacted, whose domino ripple stories have even reached us here thousands of years later. We've just talked about the impact that Jesus made one life at a time. And this impact has rippled, domino rippled worldwide. But he's now burdened. Whoa. Everywhere he's going, everywhere, everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Oh my word, everywhere I go, everywhere I go. Look at all of them. Look at all of them. Look at all of them. Whoa. Verse 35, he made a circuit of all the towns and all the villages. He was teaching, preaching, trying to let them know the plan, the love, the mercy, the grace of God. But his heart broke. It says in verses 35 through 39, his heart broke. He was filled with compassion. Compassion's different than sympathy. Sympathy would have said, man, I'm so sorry. That's sympathy. Compassion is different than sympathy. Compassion says, I am sorry. What can I do to help? Watch. This is a day of prayer. He turned to his disciples because he wanted to get things done. And he said, hey, Pray. That's how you get things done. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would cast laborers into all these fields that are ripe for harvest. I think it was attention grabbing because you know what? That's how they thought of themselves. Like the word labor, like that's how they, like they weren't rabbis. They were regular dudes, like, you know, I, we're small business owners. We're James and John. You know, here's Peter over here. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've done some pretty, like, awesome fishing in my life. Actually, when he was helping me, I did, like, this one thing that was, it would have been front page on, on field and stream, like, man, I, I can fish. He can fish? You know, Jesus is going to teach him how to lead a high-impact life, but, but he's going to use these guys who are from the mainstreams of life. Matthew's going, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just an accountant. I've kind of been gifted in business. But he's going to keep an account that you and I are reading here this morning. <laughs> because he's good at keeping track of details. And the Spirit's going to inspire him that these details need to be here. Jesus turns to them all and says, the harvest is ripe, but the water few, the water few, I want to hear you say the word at the count of three. The harvest is ripe, but the water few, one, two, three. Did you hear the word you use? I, I had a marketing company come to Forge in Denver, Colorado. They came from Southern California. 
And they said, you guys have made a grave marketing mistake. You're paying us some bucks, so we're going to tell you, you've made a big mistake. And I said, is it, is it like, uh, you don't like the word forge? Because that actually gives us a conversation about God. Because God's an all-consuming fire. You get near him, you know, you, closer you get to the all-consuming fire of God. Like he lights your heart on fire. Man, I mean, he starts, you know, pl- he, he melts your heart. And then he starts shaping your life, kind of like in a forge. And he said, no, no, that's, that's a good word. We like that. Well, you don't like the kingdom building ministries under. You don't like the word kingdom, you know, but he's the king and he has a kingdom and, and we're about boundaryless kingdom. We're not about one denomination or one people group or one state or one nation. We're about it all. It, the kingdom is expansive. It's here, there, and everywhere. Wherever the king rules, there's a kingdom. Oh, you don't like the word building because it's an action word and it calls people to do something. Imagine that. If we're going to make an impact, we're going to do something. I said, no, we, we, we're hanging on to the word building. Ah, you don't like the word ministries because we use that word because we think every single person is a minister. 24-7, that that's the design and plan of God. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that when I'm running around a track with somebody and he's sharing with me, I'm not clergyman so-and-so. I'm, I'm the person that's near him in the moment and Jesus is present in me as he is in you, is in her, is in him. We believe in ministries that are as distinct and unique as we are as people, bringing Jesus up close as we see, stop, and spend time with. They said, no, it's that other word. It's in all your publications, that that book, uh, that other book. Like, you use it all the time. You got to ditch that word. It's not a good word. I don't know. And then it dawned on me, and I went, Oh, you, you, mean, you mean the word, I, I, th- I thought I'd get him started. You mean the word, they said, yep, that's it. What, what, what's it? The, the one you were just saying. I said, I didn't say the word. What was it? They said, yeah, that's the word. I said, why don't you say it? Well, we, we just want you to know that the word laborer isn't a posh, feel-good upward. It's not a Madison Avenue word. It's not very marketable. Nobody's going to want to be a laborer. I said, then we have a big problem because the one who impacted our world told us that's what's missing. And watch me. Some days he got down and held kids. Thought that was an important thing to do as a laborer. Other days He walked across to somebody who kept yelling, unclean, 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 and everybody jetted away, and he walked toward him, and he got messy. He touched him, the leper. The picture John told on Monday where he stepped into a situation where somebody was being accused and about to be stoned, and he stepped in, advocated. And then he sets an example for his, these Labors, he's training in his three-year hands-on aggressive training program. He washes their feet because their feet are muddy and dirty. Why did Jesus use the word labor? Because that's what he'd been doing for three years, the model to follow. He knew that high impact, you remember it from yesterday, high impact isn't when you stand up and give a speech. High impact is when you get up close and you spend time with And you're not a leader or you're not a speaker. You're not a anything. You're just, you're just a laborer. Let's go do something. You're doing life near somebody, with somebody. And for three years, the way they learned the life was just watch somebody who was doing the life. But he said, the harvest is ripe, but the labor is a few. Why, why, why do you think I'm, I'm, I'm with you right now. Why do you think he used that word? Why do you think he used the word labor? Were you, you have an idea? Why why do you, you know, you're just nervous. Like, (laughs) this is what's going on over here. Anybody have an idea? Why do you think he used the word labor? Huh? Somebody, you you got got an idea here? Oh, she's not afraid. Shit, it's an anybody word. Anybody can be one. Everybody can be one. You know what? Here's the cool deal. 
hear me. I like this, because remember I'm Dwight the Fright? She said it's an anybody, every word. Listen, there is no exclusivity. There's no exclusivity in Christ's employment plan. He is, hear me, an equal opportunity employer. Everybody gets a chance. I'd finished a, a trip and I was really exhausted. Most of the time when I go out, I go out by myself and, and I'm doing it all and, and I was pretty tired. I'd been in Washington, D.C. And, and the Baltimore area and I, I flew back to Denver, Colorado where we're base camped. My wife could see how exhausted I was. She pointed to the easy chair. I don't know if you have one in your house. We got one that it actually, it's kind of my makeshift I, instead of going to the bedroom and feeling I'm totally disrespectful. I can kick it back, you know, and just snooze. And that's when I, ah, I saw it. What is that? Whoa, what in the world? What, what is this? I, I, I really didn't mean to say it quite that loud, but my wife came running in and I said, what is that? I was pointing at a massive water spot on our ceiling. She said, well, while you were gone, like, Yesterday, there was a massive storm even through the night before you flew in today. We must have a leak in our roof. I said, oh. And she said, hey, I checked the weather app today and there's another storm coming tonight. We, we may have a serious problem here. That's a pretty big one. So I, I pulled out my phone and I started making calls. By the seventh call, by the seventh call, the guy that answered said, hello, this is James the Roofer. How can I help you? I <laughs> whoa, James the Roofer. I actually said, well, hello, James the Roofer. This is Dwight. Um, and and I, I must have a leak in my roof, but the problem is I understand there's a storm coming tonight. I need somebody who's affordable, somebody who's honest and fair, somebody who has insurance in case you fall off my roof. Um, and, uh, and I need somebody who can come today. Well, what part of Denver are you in? And I said, on the east side. He said, well, I got a job over there actually this morning. I'd probably be at your house by four o'clock. 3.58, the doorbell rang. Have you ever talked to somebody on the phone and you have a visual impression of what you think they look like? like so I'm, I'm like imagining this is James the Roofer. So I'm thinking there's gonna be a roofing uniform and like maybe a hat that says James on it, you know? So I, I open the door at 3.58 and here's a regular ordinary guy standing there holes through his jeans and t-shirt. He's got a bandana tied back, holding his long hair back and and he puts his hand out in case I'm confused and says, hello, I'm James the roofer. I'm here to fix your roof, sir. <laughs> well, James the roofer, come in, come on in. <laughs> so he walks in and I show him where the, he said, let me crawl up on your roof and I'll give you a quote uh, in just a minute. Comes down, gives me a very fair quote. I said, you're on. He said it was going to take him an hour and a half. But in 45 minutes, he was back at my door. He said, sir, it's totally fixed. I said, you told me it was going to take an hour and a half. He said, sir, it's completely fixed. Wasn't as complicated as I thought. Um, uh, and, and it's completely fixed. In fact, sir, I'm so sure it's fixed. If it ever gives you trouble anywhere in the future, you call me and I'll be back for free. It's fixed. And, and uh, also, sir, I've, I've adjusted your bill. Now, I don't know if you pay very many bills, but usually when they tell you they've adjusted your bill, it goes one direction. So I'm going, you've done what? He said, I've adjusted your bill. I said, let me see. So he puts this paper out in front of me and he scratched off the original number and it's half the price. I said, James, that's, that's half of what you told me it was gonna cost and your, your price was fair. He said, well, sir, it seems like the honest fair thing because it only took me half the time and half the materials. So I, I, I don't feel like I need any more than half the price. Now I really like this guy, you know, so I'm going to go get my, my credit card and we're going to do the transaction. And as I'm coming back, I heard him taking a call. Hello, this is James Roofer. How can I help you? <laughs> it's like, I can't believe this guy. So uh, as he closed out the call, I said, James, don't ever let an answering service take over your calls. You're doing an awesome job. Man, I'm so glad I found you. And I patted him on the shoulder. I'm not kidding you. He stepped back from me and said, sir, I cannot accept your compliment. I was like, well, that was weird. Uh, I thought he doesn't understand what I just said. So, you know, I, I want to encourage people in life. So I just said, hey, James, no, listen, 
I was desperate. I didn't know what I was going to do. Like we were panic stricken that we had a massive leak and, and there's a storm coming tonight. And listen, I'm so glad we found somebody who was honest, fair. And man, look at this price. Like, listen, I want to pay, I want to pay the original price. I'm so happy with you. And, and I patted him on the shoulder again. He took two steps back and said, sir, I'm serious. I can't accept your compliment. Now follow this because he's totally setting me up. I had no idea. He said, unless, sir, you have like just, do you have just a, a few minutes? I said, yeah, I got a few minutes. He said, well, sir, I, I, don't, I don't know you at all. Uh, I haven't, I've never done any work in your particular neighborhood in Denver. So I don't know if you're gonna understand what I'm about to try to explain to you, but I'm gonna do my best. So, sir, um, 13 years ago, I was strung out on drugs and my life was a mess and you would not have wanted me near your house, your wife, or your two kids. And then, sir, I don't, I don't know how to explain this other than like the God who created the entire universe, um, he actually uh, created the earth that we live on. Um, he had a son and he sent his son. To, and I'm thinking, I cannot believe what's happening right now. This roofer goes on. He sent his son so we could be forgiven of our sins through something he did for us on a, on a cross. He died for your sins, sir. Uh, as he died for mine, and, and then he became a way for us to have a relationship with, with the Father God who created everything, and he created it with him, and his name is Jesus. And he goes through this whole deal, and then he says at the end, so sir, the, the reason I, I couldn't accept the compliments earlier is I couldn't accept those without telling you first that I, I am who I am, because of him. I looked at him and I said, brother. He said, what? I said, brother. He said, you're one? <laughs> I said, well, don't act so surprised. <laughs> yes, I'm one. He said, oh. Like literally like this, oh. And I said, what? He said, well, I pray every day that God will send me where he needs me to do what I just did with you, but if you already are one, why am I at your house? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I needed my roof fixed maybe? I don't know, <laughs> you're a roofer? <laughs> he said, well, I'm a roofer because that's what gets me up close to people. And I thought in my head in the mainstreams of life, one life at a time on my word, and I said, James, you're doing the Jesus thing. I mean, before he ever stepped into his public ministry at age 30, he was probably in people's homes fixing. He was a carpenter. You know, he was, he was, it was his trade. He'd learned it from his father. And a lot of times when people said, you know, what do you do? He probably did say, I'm a builder. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he built the universe and, and, and he's building a kingdom with his father God. But he had also learned that mainstream, like a lot of you, you're going to be here, there and everywhere. I, by this time, there was so much excitement and loudness <laughs> as we were going, whoa, you know. So my wife is in the room and my two kids hear what's going on. Who in the heck, what's going on? They're, they're in the room finally. And we try to explain to them what's happening. And then I said to James, James, could, could, could my family pray for you and your ministry? He said, what? I said, could we pray for you and your ministry? I don't understand, he said. You guys all know, like you've seen it maybe when, when they're going to set apart a minister or a missionary, you know, the, or maybe you've been on a short-term trip and they, they see that as very important, so they'll put their hands on you and pray for your, your ministry. But what James had just done in my house, I was thinking, oh my word, give me your business cards. I want you all over our city. Like what you just did with me to think that every day you're doing this kind of thing. So I was so pumped, like, I want to pray for your ministry so I explained to him that in the early church, when they were sending people out to be boots on the ground, wherever they were going, they would pray over them. And I said, uh, can we just pray for you and your ministry? He said, well, what, what do I do? And I said, just stand there. <laughs> so he folded his hands and then for a minute he realized and he took his bandana off and shoved it in his back pocket and then he just stood there. And my family of four, we gathered around him. My wife started out, my daughter, and then my son was praying and he yanked on my arm as if maybe I didn't know what was happening, but I did know. 
My hand was on James' back and I could feel him convulsively sobbing. And now I could hear him and he was forming this rugged roofer, forming a, a pool of tears on my hardwood floor. When we finished our prayer for James the roofer and his ministry, he immediately turned his back to my wife and my kids, straight in my face, just a mess, pulling his bandana out, trying to get his composure. And he said, sir, I apologize. I'm so sorry I lost it like that. But sir, I've been doing this for 13 years and no one has ever validated my ministry before today. Why is that? Why has no one validated his ministry? Is it because we've got ideas that there's the minister and then we're the, I don't know, what are we? We, we show up and we sit in chairs and we throw money in the plate and we, we encourage the, the one that's called the minister? That's, that's sacerdotalism or sacerdotalism, whichever way you pronounce it. That's, that's not the priesthood of all believers. That's not, that's not this plan. I don't know how we became preoccupied with our own modern methods. And we're more impressed. We actually think that ministry happens by certain professionals at certain times in certain places. It's, it's not... It's not based on this model to follow. It's not based on what Jesus was training these guys. None of them were graduates of leading rabbi training schools. They were all regular guys. He would look at you this morning as an equal opportunity employer and he'd go, come on, let's do it. Let's lead a high impact life. I'll, I'll show you how. Fix your eyes on me. I got to tell you what happened to my son. Second grade. I come home from a ministry board meeting and my wife said, he's been waiting. I let him stay up. He's waiting for you to come upstairs and uh, read his sports devotional to him. So I get up the stairs really quick and he's, his light's on and, and, and the devotional book uh, that we're reading through, sports devotional, and I lay down. I often laid down in his bed and we're reading the sports devotional and I'm finished. I'm going to turn the light out. I said, dad, don't turn the light out yet. Why? I said, dad, I got to tell you something. Okay, son. Dad, I got called to the principal's office today. I thought, what? I said, I'm sorry, what did you, you just say? He said, I got called to the principal's office today. I said, who was with you? He said, nobody, it was just me. I thought, oh my word. You know, people always told Dwight the Fright, like, you're gonna get one just like you. You wait, you'll get one just like you. It's gonna happen to you. That's, that's how God gets even with people like you. He gives you one. But my son wasn't that kid. Like he wasn't, he was compliant. He was a pretty good kid. And I'm just totally confused. And I'm trying to stay calm. Like what would Dr. James Dobson, you know, it focused on the family down the road from where I live. What would he say to do as a dad in this moment? I'm trying to stay really composed. And, and then I, th I thought, okay. And I said, well, tell me about it. <sighs> Inside I'm going nuts, but tell me about it. He said, well, dad, it was really weird. Like she said, um, she, she asked me what you do for a living. And I told, your, told her you're a, a minister, and she said, where? And I told her, Forge, Kingdom Building Ministries, and she said, what is that? And I told her, you teach people how to love God more and how to love other people better? Let me pause with his definition for a minute. Put your right hand in the air as high as you can get it right now. That's as, that's as high as you can get your right hand. Man, I'm not impressed. That's as high as you can get your right hand. I, I said get your right hand in the air as high as you can get it. There's somebody in the back standing. And, and there's, I think I just, oh, yes, yes, yes. He's got the idea back here. Look at him. He's on his chair. So, so come down for a minute. Come down for a minute. Now, I want to tell you what I just watched. What I just watched was most of you, most of you did it without a whole lot of stretch the first time. Then there was a little like, is that as high as you can get it? You went, I can probably get higher. And then I watched you. You looked around at others. What are they doing? And you thought that was as high as you could get it. When Jesus said, there's two things. If you're going to be a laborer, two things that matter and all the commands can be summed up in these things. Love God with all your everything. Could you love him a little bit more? Could you love him a little bit more? Could you love him a little bit more? Don't look around and see how others are loving him. Could you love him a little bit more? Could you love him a little bit more? Let me tell you something. The best gift you're going to give this world 
is your intimacy with God. That's the best gift you're going to give this world. As talented and impressive as you are, I like you guys, man, I'd love to come back. I want to tell you something. As great as you are, the world doesn't need us. They need him. And the more we've been with him, the more he shows up everywhere we show up. Whatever our vocation, whatever our job, whatever our living situation is, if, if this is going on and I understand my best gift to this world is my intimacy with God, then put out your left hand because this is the laborer's L. This is what my son learned by being a part of our ministry as a second grader. So, so some of you are going, well, I'm going to hit my neighbor. Yeah, that's your neighbor for now. But when we do something in a little bit, you're going to have a different neighborhood. You're going to have a different person. Watch my feet. As my feet are moving and I'm talking, um, you know, you're, you're my neighbor in this moment. But if I move, you're my neighbor now. You're my neighbor now. Jesus said two things matter most. Love God with all your everything and the person you're near. That's your neighbor. Your neighbor is changing constantly. Hmm. So my son said to the principal, they teach people how to love God more and love other people better. She said, that's the problem. Dad, she told me that's the problem. I'm not supposed to do it in our classroom. She told me I'm not supposed to do it in the cafeteria. Dad, she told me that I'm not supposed to, um, I'm not supposed to do it at a park or in our neighborhood. She told me the only place I'm supposed to do this, love God and love others, um, is in our house or inside a church building. And she's the boss of the school. I said, son, are you an American citizen? He said, dad, what's that have to do with anything I just told you? He's second grade. I said, well, last I checked, we still have, still have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. We talked about that for a while. Then he couldn't wait to get to school the next day. We talked about diplomacy and how we walk that out. And how we... All I know is two weeks later, my second grade son said, dad, Tommy gave his life to Jesus in the cafeteria today at my school. I said, what? He said, Tommy gave his life to Jesus in the cafeteria. Dad, dad, you got to hear this. It's so amazing. Dad, I got my food in the cafeteria and I walked out and I looked around and dad, <laughs> I saw him. He was sitting all by himself, dad. Nobody saw him, but I saw him, dad. And I walked over and I said, he said, dad, I stopped. Tommy, you want somebody to sit with you? He did, dad. So dad, I saw him, I stopped and I sat down and I, dad, I spent time with Tommy and we were talking about Christmas and I talked about the nativity. He'd never heard anything like that. And then, then he said, well, how did I know that? And he said, so I told him all about Jesus. And, and then I asked him if he wanted Jesus in his life and he did. Dad, we got to get him a Bible. They don't have a Bible at their house. I want to ask you something. Tommy came to Jesus that day. Can I ask you a question? Because it's a serious question. How many of you believe that my son, elementary school kid, was a laborer that day? Like what Jesus was saying, the harvest is ripe the laborers. How many of you believe my, my second grade son was a laborer? How many of you believe that James the roofer would be described by Jesus as a laborer? The harvest is ripe, the laborers are few. But here's the deal, and listen close. Some of you have disqualified yourself. He didn't, you did. You've disqualified yourself. Almost like the, the three who'd been in the training program with him eventually end up in a boat in John 21 out on a lake because they just can't imagine that they're the plan and that he doesn't have a plan B, they're it. And Jesus helps them get moving into their book of Acts. I want to tell you something. The book of Acts is when people started doing love, doing laborship, doing the things that Jesus had prepared for them to do. That's why we call it the book of Acts. It was the actions, the things that people started just doing that were the works of Jesus. They were the body of Jesus. But let me tell you how you've unqualified yourself. Some of you think, I would do this when I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect. I, maybe someday I'll get to a point where I'm, I'm a better person. I've traveled the world, um, so I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you think, like, just give me a number. How, how many, because I've been looking for perfect people for my whole life. I've traveled all over the world. How many perfect people do you think I've met so far? Okay, I'm getting a bunch of you saying you think it's negative zero. Yeah, it's, I haven't. Let me help you. 
want to help you. You're saying that pretty fast because there are none. Now let me help you. So, get over yourself. Get over yourself. There are no perfect people on the planet. There aren't any. He doesn't have a plan B. Imperfect people are his plan. And you're disqualifying yourself because you think you're not perfect. When are you going to become perfect? If you're waiting to be perfect, when, when, when is that going to happen for you? When are you going to become perfect? When, when you see him face to face and you're changed into his likeness, but until then, get over yourself. He doesn't have any perfect people. We're it. Dwight the Fright had to get over myself. So what do perfect, imperfect people do? Take your pointer finger and just point up. This is what we do. We point to the one who is. I'm not the answer. You're not the answer. He is. So we point. That's what John the Baptist did. He pointed and said, he was the one preparing the way. And he said, look, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he pointed to Jesus. You and I can point. Some of you are thinking to yourself, but Dwight, I'm unworthy. Well, hey, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the unworthy club. I've been in it for a while. We don't do this because we're worthy. We do it because he's worthy. Some of you are thinking, but yeah, if you knew all my crud, you would not this morning be telling me I can be a laborer. I've got a $20 bill here. Anybody interested? I got a 20. I got a few hands. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me, uh, let me mess this thing up pretty good here. Okay, it's messed up. Messed up. Who wants it? I just saw a bunch more hands go up. So um, I have walked more than a few nasty places um, in these shoes. So I'm going to grind some dirt into these. Uh, Okay. It's okay. All right. Now who wants it? More hands just went up. What, what the deal? I'll tell you why you still want it because it's not lost its value. And hear me, it's not lost its value and neither have you. Some of you have gotten messed up along the way. You've gotten sin soiled along the way. And you're thinking, well, he wouldn't want me. No, as wildly, I mean, Zay's hand is still up. You're you're down on the floor here like like with your hand up. Let me tell you something. Hear me. That is exactly what Jesus is doing over your life. I want you. I want you. You haven't lost your value to me. Yeah, but I, I got messed up along the way. I got, I got soiled up along the way. You have not lost your value to me. That's how he feels about you. That's how he feels about you. Now, let me tell you something. He came the distance. He came the distance. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Ah! More is delivered, more of God, more of his will, more of his glory. Two other things quickly as we close. One, one, as we close this session. Some of you think, well, I, w- I wouldn't know what to do or say. Like, I'm, I'm not trained like the ministry people are trained. Huh. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever shown up for you? Like, you, you didn't know how you were going to pass a test, or you didn't know how you were going to pay a bill, or you didn't know how you were going to do this. You didn't know how this was going to work. You didn't know how you were going to get CIU. You didn't know how you were going to get on this team. You and you prayed, like, and God showed up for you. How many of you, God has ever shown up for you? Like, right hand in the air if he's ever shown up for you. And leave your hand up, because he ought to see that. If he showed up for you, he ought to see some credit. Give him some credit. He showed up for you. It'd be a bad thing not to give him credit. He's shown up for you. Hands up. Leave, leave him up. Now, with that hand up. If you think he's shown up for you more than once, put the other hand up. If you think he's shown up more than once. Now keep them up and I want you to just glance around the room at what you're seeing here. Can I tell you what these are? These are our God stories. Look around the room. These are our God stories. And there's a whole world out there that if they were to read this book that we've been reading from this morning, they'd go, oh, well, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago, but let me tell you something. What do these say? These say to them, he still shows up. And those are the stories they need to hear. Yes, you'll eventually get to these, but, but you are more trained than you think. Tell your stories. You know them. I don't know them. I don't know your stories, but you know them. And they can't discredit. That's a real story. That's from your life. And when they hear your story, you know what's going to happen? They're going to go, man, if, if God showed up for her, <laughs> if he showed up for him, I mean, they're just regular. Maybe, maybe he'd show up for me. It's the same thing 
that happened when we read some of these stories, 75% stories, and we went, man, if he showed up for her, maybe he'd show up for me. If he showed up for him, maybe he'd show up. Same thing, but they need to know he still shows up because that's hope for them when you tell your story. He's not back here. He is here. That's what this book helps to point us all in the direction of Jesus. Some of you are saying, I get, I get nervous and I get scared. Let me teach you the 10-finger prayer real quick because you're going to need it. 10-finger prayer, do you know it? Because if you don't, you need it. So put your dukes up. We'll all look ridiculous together here, but I, you're going to need this. You're going to need this a lot more than you could imagine. If you choose to be a kingdom laborer for the rest of your days, whatever your occupation, whatever your job, wherever your feet are gonna land, you're gonna need the 10 finger prayer because you're gonna have opportunity in front of you that you're gonna see and you wanna stop with and you wanna spend time, but you're thinking, man, I don't, I don't know what I'd do. So here's, here's the 10 finger prayer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's do it together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, because you're in need at three o'clock Saturday afternoon. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're gonna be in a situation Thursday morning. You may need this, let's do it again. One more time, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Keep them up, I wanna show you something. Look at the smallest parts of the equation are I <laughs> and me. It doesn't matter what you don't know how to do. It's all the stuff he does in between. Now stop when I tell you to stop. Ready? Stop when I tell you to stop. Ready? Let's go. I can do all things through Christ. Stop. You realize your pointer finger is Christ. So when you're praying that 10 finger prayer, you're pointing to him too. He's the one who promised I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day after day. So imperfect people can point. As unworthy people, we say, I don't do this because I'm worthy, because he's worthy. Sin-soiled, messed up people are actually his plan. He doesn't have another plan, a plan B. We're it. People who are willing to share your God stories because they're yours, you know them. Don't underestimate and undervalue what he's done in your life as as something that will inspire faith in another life that if he showed up for you, maybe he'd show up for them and tell them he's no respecter of persons. He wants to show up for you. Pray the 10 finger prayer when you're getting freaked out and just simply know that the agenda is love. When I was gonna take my daughter on our first dad-daughter date, I didn't know how to do one. My friends had told me it was a good idea and she was old enough and I thought, I don't know what to do. Like, what do you do with a little toddler? Like, how do you go on a date? Like, you don't take them to a fancy restaurant and you don't put the music just right in the car. Like, so we're going out to my red Jeep and, and, and her mother's putting her in the car seat in the back uh, and I'm looking at her in the rearview mirror and she looks totally freaked out. And like, because mom's waving goodbye. It's dad time. So I started singing, um, Daddy is your boyfriend. And she, she sang back, and I am daddy's girlfriend, all of four years old. And I sang, and we go on dates. She didn't know what one was, but she's about to, because I'm going to make it hard on every future guy. It's going to be great. And, and then, and we go on dates. And she was a little concerned, so she sang back at me, and we have fun, fun, fun. And I said, fun, fun, fun. Listen. My daughter is in her 20s. She has a daughter of her own. And she still wants to go on dates with daddy and we sing the song. So we, we head to the mall. My wife had given me great advice. She said, look in her little face and love will tell you what to do. We get to the mall. We're walking in the entrance and, and I can hear all the puppy dogs at the pet store and she could too. I looked at her little face and I thought, Oh, I can tell that's where she wants to go. She's like, where are the puppy dogs? We go in there and there's one, I can see her little face says that's the one she's looking at. So we get that one out and plays. But eventually it scratches her and she's, she's I looked at her face. I knew what to do. Give the puppy back. You know, we don't, we don't need that puppy anymore. And, uh, and so we're walking out of there and I'm kind of brushing her tears a little bit. And, and she saw the toy store across the way. She knew where that was. I didn't, but she did. And she started toddling over, so I followed her in. She knew exactly where she was going. She was going back to the little girl kitchen section. And the next thing I know, she's sitting on the floor. So 
I look at her little face. I know what to do. We're going to be here a while. So I sit down on the floor and we're playing kitchen when all of a sudden I'm smelling Mrs. Fields cookies from lower level on the mall. I don't know how they, I think they have the, these big industrial blow fans that blow it everywhere, you know, because my daughter started small and I could see like, ooh, I know what that is. She stood up. She's no longer wanting to be, I, I can tell. I look at her little face. I know where we're going. I said, come on, we'll go. We'll go get a cookie. We're getting toward the cookies and, and, and she sees people throwing uh, uh, coins in the water fountain. So I, I can see she, she wants to do that. So I pulled out a couple coins and she threw them in the water fountain. And We're walking out of the mall and there's a little photo booth. You know what a photo booth is? And, and it's flashing and she pulls the curtain back. I said, no, 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 no. They're, they're getting a picture. And I realized maybe we should get a picture. So, so we waited and then we got in there and got a picture from our first date, a, a cool set of four black and whites. I didn't realize so much time had passed that I got her home too late. My wife was standing at the door like, thought you didn't know how to have a date with your daughter. You are late, 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 late. And I said, yeah, yeah. But I'm in love, 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 love. I looked in her little face and love told me what to do. That's the final thing that a labor does. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, live a life of love as dearly loved children. It goes on to say in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, live a life as dearly loved children and be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Everywhere, every day, all the time, he was modeling. Even in the toughest moment of his life on the cross, he was loving God, according to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and even loving his next door on a cross neighbor. Hey, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's not a moment, there's not a time, there's not a place. There isn't an opportunity for you and I to be a kingdom laborer. The harvest is right. I now sign my letters. The harvest is ripe, but the labors are increasing. Because all over the world, people are going, I didn't know I counted. You've felt overlooked and undervalued. And you've even unqualified yourself. But not today. You already said he hardwired you with a desire to make an impact. And now you know, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who knows how to help you make an impact and it's not going to look like somebody else it's going to look like you all the talents all the abilities do you know how he chose to use David he was an athlete David was an athlete and he was really good at aim God really blessed his athleticism and his skillful aim high impact over and over you'll see all kinds of stories in here there are people just letting you know He needs the variety that he created. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, in this room, there's a ton of potential. You would probably, as much as I walked off the stage and walked around, you're probably walking around right now, Lord. Like, I want you. I want you. You haven't lost your value. I need you. I want you. And they want to have a high impact, Lord. And they've had their eyes on people, but they need to raise their gaze and get their eyes on you and know that they actually could be the answer to the prayer request in Matthew 9. That the harvest is ripe where they're going to go. And they could say this morning, and I, hey, Jesus, I'll be your laborer there where you've taken me. The places I get to go because I'm good at this, or you've given me an ability in this, or you don't have a labor over there and you're going to put me in that apartment complex or you're going to put me in that neighborhood because I'm going to be the first set of boots you've ever had on the ground there. You've given me unique talents and abilities, unique hobbies and interests, a unique personality. I'm unique from head to toe. I didn't know that you created all that on purpose so that I could lead a high-impact life. I don't want to hear the word this morning, I want to do it. I want you to know, Jesus, if you're looking wildly like, I want you, I want you, you haven't lost your value, that I'm in. 
I want you to know that I get it. I get it. But I not only get it, I want to do it. I want to live it. I don't want to hold my hand up for the rest of my life and hope my life will make an impact. I want to seal the deal today, Jesus. I want to sign on. Let your signing bonus be that I get to spend time with you today because the campus closed the deal for me to be able to get time today for you to just start tooling me up today as we spend time, God, together today. But you would right now, not waiting on anybody else, you'd stand your feet and say, Jesus, I've heard it. I want to be it. I want to live See, stop, spend time. I want to live the life of laborship. I want to focus on the people around me and let love tell me what to do. Your love poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. This is not complicated. Many people have said, oh my word, Jesus' plan is, it's not just simple, it's doable. When I do it for and with him, stand up where you are. If you want Jesus to know I'm your labor, count on me. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't know how. I feel sometimes unworthy. I'm definitely imperfect, but but. This morning, I'm getting it. I'm the kind of person you, you're looking for. Actually, you, you hope that all of your people will become your body and you won't be attached to a bunch of people who are paralyzed and frozen in fear, but they'll just simply pray the 10-finger prayer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and, 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 and that I, I'll, I'll tell whatever you do or did for me, the stuff I know, I'll tell to somebody who, who maybe that would help them know you'll show up for them. I wanna be that person in the mainstreams of life, one life at a time, up close to others. I don't need an upfront spot, God. Up close to others. I want to see who you see, God. I want to stop with who you're wanting to stop with. And I want to spend time for the rest of my life being a kingdom labor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a whole lot of you to the very back row to the very front row. This is the way you start to make an impact. You get in front of the, the one who refers to himself as the Lord of the harvest and you let him show you your field and then you let him guide and lead you in that field to be his labor. And you don't have to wait for a college degree to begin this. You do this now. If a second grader in James the Roofer, you, you bonafide them this morning. You said, yeah, they're a labor. You get it. I want to pray over you this morning. Lord, these are eager hearts. Hmm. And the dude who came and got the 20 because he traveled the distance. While I'm praying, I want to ask you, while I'm praying, let's use this front as your way to just demonstrate to Jesus. I want to come near to you. You come near to me. So let's just fill this front area with those of us who are volunteering. Nobody feel out of place because you're sitting because, you know, this is, this, is, this is a day for us to just do business and we're doing business. But I would like to just um, have you come from where you're at. Let's just stand here as I'm praying. So, so start coming now. It'll be a little noisy, but I'm gonna keep praying. So Lord, as they're moving, what they're doing is showing you they understand laborers don't think about it. They start moving. That laborers um, don't stay and park they don't stay in park, that you can't steer a car that's in park, you steer one that's in motion. And these are laborers who are starting to demonstrate to you, Lord, I wanna move with you. I wanna move with you and you with me. I wanna be up close to you and you up close to me so I can bring you up close to others. I understand my best gift's gonna be my intimacy with you, so I don't ever wanna be ashamed with you. I actually wanna get as near to whatever you're up to and whatever you're doing and who you are as I can. My intimacy with you is gonna be my greatest gift to this world. And when you put somebody near me, cause I'm in the long line at Walmart now and, and I almost don't get it, nudge me God, like that's your neighbor for right now and she's hurting. Look at the medicine in her hand. She's got two kids at home sick and she's scared to death and you're a neighbor in this moment. Lord, when I'm, when I'm actually working out with somebody and I don't get that actually we're now near the same machine on purpose because you've been watching me in the gym and now I'm near that person and this person is hurting and last night said, if you don't want me to take my life in, I, you really do exist, get, just get to me somehow. I'm giving you 24 hours, God, and we're your labor. And we actually like to work out. We're at the gym and we're near who's on your heart and your heart is breaking for them. 
and now you gotta labor. For some of us, Lord, it's a nine-year-old kid that lives down the street from us back home, and this kid has a future, but they need a labor to come alongside and pray for them today. There's some people we're gonna pray for by name today, and that's gonna be the beginning of our labor-ship. We, many of us, we're where we're at today because somebody prayed for us, and we're gonna start naming some names before you pray for them. We want to be their praying person because they don't have a praying dad or a praying mom or a praying grandma. We're going to be it. We're going to stand there and do it. Lord, these are your labors. They're all over the room. They're yours. They belong to you. They're not going to be at CIU very long. Man, while they're here, let them get started. Show them, Lord. I mean, I love the fact, God, that you designed and desired this campus to be full of diversity and opportunity. It's here, there, and everywhere. Help us to learn people's names, God. Help us to learn their names so we can pray for them by name and care about them by name. It's the place to begin to express high value. Help us to be one of the best campuses for knowing each other the way we'll do in our neighborhoods later. And I'll know, no, that's the white, that's the person that lives in the white. No, I'll know their name. That's the person that lives in the brick house. That's the one that's in the concrete block house down there. No, we'll know them by name, Lord. We'll get used to doing these things here. So when you get us out there a little farther, we're doing it already. It's just natural. We got game on already. Lord of the harvest, today we're going to start doing the thing you told us matters. We're going to pray. That's the way we know the work starts getting done. Digging down in and breaking up the soil and getting seeds planted through prayer. Some of us are gonna name some people out loud today that you're gonna bring to our hearts because we're gonna be laborers, we're gonna do it. Not think about it, we're gonna do it, Lord. So Lord, here they are, they're yours, they're yours. This is a big deal day, God. This is a big deal day. I hope heaven's just jumping up and down like at a wild rock concert, just going, yes, 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 yes. You just got a bunch more, and this was what your heart broke over. Jesus, they're yours. In your name, Jesus, I pray. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.